figured I was gone, huh? Run. Hide in the staircase. Run quick! Ruby, shit! What do you want? I want them kids. I'm giving you to the count of three to get out of here, then I'm coming across the kitchen shooting. The combined powers of Paul Gregory and Charles Lawton brought the King Mutiny Court Martial to Broadway. Now the screen receives that same creative, electrifying impact. The Night of the Hunter. Hello and welcome to a new episode of the Holmes Movies Podcast. Hope everyone has been enjoying their scary movie month or as we or as normal people call it october uh i'm joined by adam over skype hello hello from the hills of northampton yes the dark hills of northampton it's pit black at the moment because it's early in the morning early one morning as adam was rising to record a podcast today <laughs> are you all right yeah, I just, sorry, I just popped into my head and I thought just doing that. <laughs> Quite cheerful, I suppose. Yeah. Um, how are you? I'm good. Yeah, yeah, I'm good. It's uh, grey here in Copenhagen, but it's got a good fall look or autumn look. Uh, it's, yeah, it's good. Yeah. I had uh, Felina over here over last week. It was really good fun. We went to the aquarium, the, the Blue Planet, which was really nice. Okay. Did you do anything? scary <laughs> yeah i did I, I watched a bunch of uh, horror movies i saw um a, a few most of them i hadn't actually seen before i saw the french movie uh lay i'm gonna butcher the pronounce uh, le, le diabolique yes which was a wonderful film uh very creepy oh, so um, good so good it it was the film that Alfred Hitchcock nearly did direct. He nearly got the rights to it, but the director of Lady Belique, he actually got him the rights to do the film about two seconds before Alfred Hitchcock did. Oh fuck. <laughs> oh bugger. But but you can kind of see how Bastard got there first. Um but you can kind of see like there's a bit of a psycho vibe around the film i think that movie did probably inspire a little bit of psycho i think I, we, like it's it's very hitchcock i mean it's it's it, the plot is straight from like you know you could imagine that there's a hitchcock film very easily yeah um it's um it's totally in that vein isn't it by the guys who wrote the story that became Vertigo, is that right? Yeah, that they Hitchcock liked the film so much. Nancy he, Jack and the other one, I can't remember the names. Uh, I'll just quickly look it up. But he did, he did actually like their work so much. He did have them come it was up. Just with, like bought everything else they'd ever written. <laughs> <laughs> he he liked it so much. He had them right. He came up with the story of um of, of Vertigo, which uh, came out in 1958. If, mm-hmm. if, if, if I'm... And it's also a damn good movie, but the yes. no, the Diabolique is is is, um, is really good. And did you know that the actress? I mean, uh, let's just say to avoid giving any spoilers, but the main actress, not Simone Signoret, Signoret, but the other one, actually did die of a heart attack in the Oh, really? Yeah, no. I mean, it's really sad, but it's also like art imitating life. It's, yeah, but she not... was. But she was married to Henry Henri George uh, Clouzot, the director Clouzot, the director of um, of the movie, and he also directed her in the film La Vérité, and he fell into a deep depression over her death. What were the writers called? Uh, yeah, that was the, that was the reason why. Uh, it was it was Henri uh, George Clouzot and Jérôme uh, Jérôme Oh. But hmm. I thought it was based on a. It was based on a book by Pierre Boulot and Pierre Aho. I'm saying the names wrong, probably, but uh, maybe I, I got it wrong then. Um, no, 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 no. They, 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 they wrote the books, and then Verti- the Vertigo was adapted from that book. Yeah, we were right. Hmm. Okay, so I just got the names wrong. No matter, no matter. Um, but uh, no, that's an incredible movie. Um, yeah, really good film, really creepy as well, and also just very atmospheric and and uh, just cool with tension and, and stuff. It's really nice. Right. Well, I reckon you probably want to talk about some news. 
Yeah, actually, before we get on to the other thing, I wanted to sort of bring up something that we talked about in the last episode. In the last episode where we were talking about Frankenstein, I mentioned a story about Boris Karloff wiggling his pinky. To yes. I was slightly inaccurate around, about about that about that he actually didn't do it to the girl he did it to the actress may west when he attacks her in in the in the scene in the film just to just to just to show that he was boris karloff and not frankenstein's monster may west is in frankenstein uh the wait oh wait i've got the name wrong what was her name i was gonna say i mean you wiggle a pinky at may west you're gonna She's going to return fire, you know what I May mean? May Clark, sorry, it's May Clark. <laughs> Got my name wrong. Okay, good. Well, I'm glad that that resurfaced. That's resurfaced. Yeah, so, um, um, yeah, I think before we get on to, um, La- oh, not Lady of uh, before we get on to the film that we are going to talk about, The Night of the Hunter, um, a certain trailer popped up online yesterday during Monday Night Football, and that was the final trailer to the final star wars film for a while uh star wars episode nine the rise of skywalker which yeah which i i have to say when i saw the trailer it it gave me chills and 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 also the line that c3po says where he says taking one last look at my friends i got a little bit choked up because i thought it's going to be the last time that we see any of these characters because if they're ever going to do a star wars film again probably five or so years down the line we're probably never going to see any of these legacy characters again. We're probably going to see some new people. So in some ways, this is a really big event. It's the last time to see any of these characters. It's their last stand. It's wrapping up the Skywalker storyline. We don't know what it is. I have some ideas of what where things could go, but I'm not one of these people on the internet who's just dissecting the trailer and being like, this scene is this, this scene is that, this scene is this. I just want to like be as open-minded about the film and just go in blind and just be surprised as I was when I saw The Last Jedi. Mm. but uh, um, what did you what did you think of the trailer it made me nervous honestly honestly i don't know um i <clears throat> firstly i thought that c3po line no matter where it comes um whether it's because c3po is going to quote unquote die or whether it's because they just want to put that line in as a i feel like that line should not be used in a trailer that's the kind of line you want to surprise audiences with in the moment because that's a really that is an emotional thing to say, and I think that like it, it gives. I think it gives too much. You don't need to give that much away. I feel like this, this trailer is giving a little bit too much away. Um, there's, it's, it's obvious to me that there's some kind of um, descent into some sort of afterlife, or after because you've got the, the Palpatine is there and the 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 shell of the old Death Star, and it start. I start to worry too much that there's. This is getting a little bit. Um, that they're perhaps going to great lengths to try and and bring in something that's already been, you know, Palpatine's already been concluded. You know, Palpatine isn't the isn't the personific isn't the entire personification of the the Sith or the dark side or whatever it is. Mm. You know, I'm I'm nervous about the idea of bringing him back. You know, the, the Death Star was blown to smithereens. He was thrown into the reactor core of you know by Darth Vader. That that was over. That was done. So I do not understand i don't really fully understand what's going to how they're going to tie that in and i don't and i don't get this i i wonder if it's if if if, if ray is going into some concept some sort of weird like half um space you know some kind of strange like not quite um real place to sort of revisit these battles or whatever it is they're gonna to have to do that really carefully. Um, the uh, the the scene it looks like they're just gonna pick up the scenes with her and Kylo Ren again, sort of where they left them off as well. And I I, I hope they I hope they they land that better because um, rewatching um, the Last Jedi, um, you know those those scenes are really well done mm. um, and they set up a lot of tension in the movie, but. Um, that's also one of the, the things I found a little sort of narratively frustrating with with the Last Jedi was how the the the, um, the arc of Kylo doesn't quite make sense. Like he's he's sort of you know throughout the movie he looks like he's coming back, he's coming back, and then he kills Snoke, but then he like 
doubles down and goes super dark and it's like just that that feels like that shift suddenly feels a little bit abrupt and so i hope that they don't i hope that if they can keep this tension mm-hmm. going between him and ray that they really um execute it well so and there was just just aesthetically i thought it looked a little bit more cgi and i don't know kind of not quite as um it didn't have its head up it, it, as much as the first two especially um the force awakens you know with when you watch the trailer for the force awakens it was all about big vistas and new worlds and, and this one yeah. felt sort of somehow claustrophobic and um and and one note like the the the, the aesthetics of it seem very kind of washed out and so i'm just i'm just it's very shiny this this i mean it's not a it's a, I, I joked about you via text that i was worried about it was going to be like another return of the jedi but i don't think that's a problem that, I, that we need to worry about i don't think they're going to throw a bunch of ewoks and jab at the heart at us and, I and think, i'm hayden christensen what, yeah exactly i think more what concerns me more is that they're going to go in a very serious and kind of high concept direction that isn't going to work mm. So that's what makes me nervous. But anyway, we'll see. I can, I can understand um, that. But yeah, it's in a couple of months, so we can... Yeah, exactly. Well, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure we'll podcast about it. Yeah. Um, I wanted to talk to you about the um, what's been in the news regarding Coppola and Scorsese slagging off the Marvel movies. Yeah, yeah, I'm not going to lie. I've, I've gotten so bored hearing people just going on about it online. I'm so... I'm just done. <laughs> I'm, I'm, yeah. I mean... I mean, I don't fully agree with them. That's the thing. Everyone's like, these old crusties, they don't know what they're talking about. And then you have people being like, you know, the Marvel movies made so much more money. And, and it's like, well, firstly, pillock. Um, money's not what... Yeah. The, you know, money's not the arbiter of good cinema because otherwise Gone with the Wind would be the best film ever made. And B, adjusted for inflation, The Godfather's made more money than any of those fucking movies so shut up yeah and, no, like, um, I mean like someone online was like the, 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 those movies have made more money than their movies combined I'm like it's quality over quantity you prick <laughs> but also there's a very valid this this sort of like army of twitter nerds that has grabbed their pitchforks and marched on the 1970s yeah um, can just fuck off because it's like Yes, this is what they're talking about is a very real thing, which is that a lot of films that come out these days are just garbage, and a lot of them aren't Marvel Marvel movies, Marvel movies. They are, um, but they, you know, but a lot, but the but the Marvel movies personify one of the things that is wrong with the current, you know, film, current filmmaking and what um, yeah. stops. <clears throat> new and exciting films from happening films like the one we're going to talk about today do not get released as much as they should because the the space is crowded by franchises and remakes and you know star wars is 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 part of that problem james bond is part of Mm. that problem um and marvel but the the sheer just like avalanche of stuff that they put out and yes i'm sure there are some decent movies in there don't get me wrong like i love um, what's it called? The Guardians of the Galaxy yeah. or whatever. And I, I don't watch the other ones because I, I find it incredibly boring. But like, you know, th- that's just personal taste as well. I get that. I get that there are people who enjoy them and, and love living in this moment and comic book um, readers who finally are like, you know, this is like, yeah. you know, a kind of renaissance for them. But it's not good cinema. You know, it's not. And 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 say what you look want about Scorsese. I personally think that Scorsese and Coppola are a little bit um, not like over lauded over um deified in terms of filmmaking because you know they yes they have both made excellent like diff like seminal movies yeah. like it not yeah. just era defining but like art defining movies mm-hmm. like the godfather on the one hand and um and and, and raging bull and the good you know they don't get me wrong they've also both made a lot of shite like oh yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. if you look at like and, Cop- and, if you look at like coppola's filmography posts apocalypse now it's very hit and miss for the most part i mean so his 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 company went bankrupt he had to make dracula and godfather 3 just to keep the lights on exactly i mean and anyone who makes godfather 3 deserves all the pelters they get but that's not to say i mean that's not to say that they're wrong i mean it just it just is another expression of how the, the discussion on the internet is just completely um uh, just 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 completely yeah. stupid and um and, and obviously there is this just general cultural 
um, and rightly, you know, there is a cultural kind of instinct to um, throw back in the faces the sort of pronouncements of old white men at the moment. So, you know. Yeah, I know. I mean, I've just seen people that I follow on Twitter. I've not like, I've, I, I tend to like, I don't want to like go on a huge like tirades on Twitter because I just don't want to add more, you know, add, add to the pot because I just try to avoid all that because I feel like I would just rather talk about it in person with people rather than just throwing it out online. And, you know, a lot of people are just saying, like, they're just sounding petty and things like that. And it's like, they're allowed to have their opinions and maybe they're a bit yeah. extreme, but it's their opinion. And, like... Well, uh, it's not that extreme. Most films are shite. <laughs> well, I mean, I mean yeah, I, I mean, that's, that's an opinion. That's I mean, I, I mean, I've seen all the Marvel movies. I like... A, a fair amount of them. I think some of them are actually very decent, and I think there's a few in there that I would say are actually pretty great films. Like I would say, Guardians of the Galaxy is a really great film because it it felt very different because it had, you know, it had an it it, it had a voice to it which hadn't really been had before because we already had all like the normal superheroes and things like that, like Iron Man, Thor, and this one was mm. very different. It felt like. You know, before it was always, it's like the Beatles and then the Rolling Stones came along and then it was kind of cool and interesting and and it was fun. And like... Well, let's be honest, you know, the Be the Beatles and the Stones in this conversation are Coppola and Scorsese. Yeah. You know, a film like Guardians of the Galaxy is like Herman's Hermits compared to them, you know? Yeah. <laughs> you know, I mean, and this is the thing, you, know, you say it's a great, it's a great film. It's a great film within the parameters of that kind yeah, of movie. exactly. Whereas, you know, The Godfather, let's be very clear about this, is a great film within the parameters of all of cinema taken from the moment that the Lumiere brothers filmed workers mm. leaving their factory to the last, whatever poxy Marvel movie just got released in the cinema, you know, like, yeah, yeah, the yeah. Internet. Um, like I mean, I'm just, uh, I, I, I'm just, I, I mean, I just think that that's, it's a very clear distinction. These made. And I think there is a sense from all these, you know, pathetic nerds on, on Twitter that the, um, that they know, you know, the emperor has no clothes. Like these films are crap. And they know that, and that's what—that's kind of what ir irritates them. That the, whatever defines, you know, that to them, what defines this cultural moment, these movies, is, you know, it's—it's it's candy floss. It's mm. total um, theme parks, ephemeral yeah. nonsense, and it will not endure the way that um, Coppola and Scorsese's best movies have. Anyway, those are my thoughts on it. I don't want to get in trouble yeah. with. Um, no, but having, but you know, the, I feel the, like one of I—I I, I saw. People. <laughs> yeah, well, don't worry about that. Um, we won't give them your address, uh, but but, but anyway, fine. there was a guy. Maybe I, I won't read out my social media details. On this <laughs> Just be like, yeah, fuck you. No, but uh, there was a guy online, Chris Stuckman, who has his own YouTube channel and he reviews films. And I actually really like his reviews. A lot of his reviews of films that I've watched, I actually agree with a lot of he said what he says, and he's really quite intelligent about the way he critiques films, better than most. Uh, youtubers that you know have their sort of pages and stuff like he he said like on twitter and i did retweet that because i thought it made sense and it was like for journalists asking scorsese and coppola all these questions about marvel movies maybe not ask them what what you feel about marvel movies maybe talk about the the way that cinema is at the moment and how hard it is for people like you guys to get your films made because if you look at his new film the irishman which is finally coming out and i'm so excited about it i finished reading the book I heard you paint houses a few days ago and it's so good and I just want to watch that film now. That took years for that movie to to get made. And and like it's just it's incredible that that, that, that it's it's like a once in a lifetime film to have Scorsese, Joe Pesci, Harvey Keitel, Robert De Niro, Pacino making a film together because you probably won't get those guys in the same project again. And that for me Whoa. that for me will probably I think that's the that's the one film that I've been looking forward to this whole year over any Marvel movie or comic book movie that's come out like this year. And of course, the the truth of the fact is that because if you do make The Godfather, if you make Raging Bull, if you make Taxi Driver, The Taxi Driver, you earn the right to make whatever you want. Hence, why we get Shutter Island and all the other and 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 Dracula and and God knows what other crap movies they've made. But like, you know what? They're allowed to make those. They've earned it. Yeah. The only thing Marvel movies have earned is a shitload of money for a huge company that also is, you know, is not is not brilliant. You know, uh, I, the guy who runs Marvel, for example, donates to Trump. I'm not saying that that invalidates the movies. I'm just saying, like, let's get off our high horses here and talk about 
what actually it contributes uh, in a meaningful way to cinema. And yes, I sound like a snob. I don't give a fuck. Like it is that's that's the conversation that needs to be had here. And yeah, absolutely, the journalists asking these the muckraking journalists deserve uh, a huge portion of the blame. And I think perhaps there is a better conversation to be had about whether or not the Marvel movies are quote unquote good. I can have my provocative opinion. That's fine. But like, as you say, there needs there, there is a conversation to be had that actually you and I have been having for a long time on this podcast about the direction of cinema. Um, mm. But I think actually this leads in rather neatly to our film that we're talking about. Yes, the film that we're going to be talking about is Charles Lawton's film. The only film that he, the actor Charles Lawton, he was an actor before uh, he directed this film. It was the first and only film he actually directed, which I find to be quite tragic because very sad. this is a very well-directed film that shows that he has a real idea and eye for light, for camera, for setting tension and also and more importantly acting and it is this is like a lot of the actors on this film have said this is one of their favorite experiences that they've had making a film and the cinematographer stanley cortez who worked oh. on shock corridor the samuel fuller film and also the man the magnificent ambersons he said that the two directors that he worked with that understood light and respected it were orson wells and charles lawton yeah uh, the, the film was uh, Night of the Hunter. It was released in 1955, and it stars Robert Mitchum, uh, Shelley Winters. Uh, who else is in the film? Uh, Lillian Gish. The, uh, well, of course. Uh, James Gleason and uh, Billy Chapin and Sally Jane Bruce as John and Pearl Harper, who uh, the plot of the film is their father... Uh, it comes back to their house. He is just, uh, he's got a lot of money that he stole and then he hides it somewhere with the, ch and the children are sworn not to tell anyone where it is. And then he goes to prison. And while he's in prison, his cellmate is a, uh, a reverend who also happens to be a serial killer played by Robert Mitchum. Harry Powell. Yes. And Harry Powell is a very, very, very scary man. So, so the basic plot, of course, is that, as you say, that um, Ben Harper, played by Peter Graves, of course, who is most famous for the playing the pilot in the uh, in airplane. Do you like wrestling movies? Oh, is that him? <laughs> yeah. Is that him? <laughs> yes, yes, yes. It oh is. my god, yeah. I didn't know that. I was wondering um, who that guy was because I was like, who is he? I know I've seen him before. He's a wonderful character actor. He's in a lot of bunch, a bunch of stuff. He's in Star Like uh, Thirteen as well. Um, you say thirteen he, or seventeen? Star Like Seventeen. Whoops. Yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. So you said thirteen. Um, the um, was it? So you know, he's he's hung and 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 then Robert Mitchum finds out where he was living, goes back. Mm. He seduces and marries Willa, his his widow, played by Shelley Winters, and becomes a sort of nightmare stepfather for the two kids who know where the money who the only people who know where the money is yes and then he, he kills willa he chases the children who finally find refuge with uh miss cooper who's who's um played by the played by lillian gish and um and she sort of saves them she provides their salvation so that's like yeah. the basic plot of the movie but i think i think we need to talk about why I mean, this is one of my favorite films, and mm -hmm. I want to really speak to you a lot about what makes it singular, what makes it stand out. Um, and I think we can start by, I, you know, you mentioned Cortez, and I think visuals are one of the um, one of the key components here. I mean, the yeah. the black and white cinematography in this movie is astonishing, and it is it it it's so great because it is this. It's like that. It's 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 not. It doesn't feel like a film from 1955 in, in the way it's shot. No, it, it doesn't. It feels like the 1940s by way, like film noir by way of German expressionism and Orson Welles. Yeah. Like that. Stanley Cortez had done uh, Ambersons for Welles, which is just a great movie. Um, um, and and the um, but the 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 way light and shadow and sort of the way that 
the set design even is used in this film, I think has such a debt to films like Doc- The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari mm. and Nosferatu and um, Metropolis and things like that, which are just, you know, which really give it this sense of, it's almost like a silent movie that's that's been brought to, uh, that, that that's learned to speak, you mm. know, and the, the, and and I just it's it's captivating um, because of that, and also completely new, yeah. bit, despite being kind of old. <laughs> yeah, I, the way I sort of looked at it, and I said I watched it last night, and um, I looked at it in like it's it's like a southern it's a southern gothic tale by way of Brothers Grimm because it feels like a modern yes. uh, for that time a modern fairy tale. I think Charles Lawton described it as like a, a a dark mother goose tale. Well, let's yeah. So I mean, so visuals aside, so the plot, the writing is yeah, yeah it is. Um, it was from the novel by Davis Grubb, which was published in nineteen nineteen. Yeah, I've read the book. It's actually really good. The film is set in. West Virginia, nineteen thirties, or West Virginia, or somewhere, and then um, it's set during the Depression, so it's a little bit. It's set a little bit earlier than the fifties, mm. and um, and yeah, it is. It is a fairy tale. It is a total. Um, you know, it, it, it's it's like um, it. It feels like some kind of. Um, I think a true, a true, a true story like a, pic, a picture book story for children that's leapt onto the page because yeah. the children at the center are, are always at the center of the, uh, except for a couple of, of moments, are always at the center of the story. Um, yeah, we see the film. Know, the, the James Agee is credited as the writer on it. Yeah, Charles Lawton uh, is uncredited as well, I think. But it, it's, it's I, I, according to. Um, <laughs> Um, Elsa Lanchester, who of course was the bride of Frankenstein and mm. also the bride of Charles Lawton, um, Ag went like came to stay with them to write the script, but he was just like drunk the whole time and 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 was dying at that point. Yeah, and so uh, and t- what what he turned in was just like unusable. So um, so Lawton pretty much wrote the whole thing himself. But what's really interesting, I was doing some. I actually did research for a change because I love this movie so much. Yeah. Um, the um, he went, Lawton went to um, visit Davis Grubb after he first bought the right, the rights to the movie. Yeah, and they and he had Grubb like draw characters, sets, settings, scenes for him. Um, which I'd, I'd love to see those drawings. I wonder what, where they are if they even exist. Yeah. Um, and like basically you can have some storyboarding the film. That's pretty um, cool. I like that. Which I think is really great. And so I but yeah, this 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 plot sort of comes in, and I think I think this is also where. Um, the influence of silent cinema is apparent in the plot because it does it's like it's it feels kind of hokey in some ways almost um and it it has this sort of pastorality this kind of um uh you know sort of mythic quality that really seems to Mm. belong in 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 um in silent cinema i think dw griffith is a big influence and having lillian gish in the film is uh is kind of a uh, it's is the thing that ties this movie to the silent era because she was the great um, muse for for Griffith, mm. um, and it's interesting actually. I, I read that Elsa Lanchester was supposed to play her part, or was considered. Yeah, to play he her considered part. her. Yeah, it's it, to get Gish is amazing to be able to watch yeah. her at at that age. You know, delivering a a sound performance is a real treat. I mean, I know she'd done other stuff and she would prop up mm. prop up again and again, just sort of doing a film every once in a while, but. <clears throat> This, aside from her work in the silent era, this has to go down as one of her great roles. Yeah, but it's also interesting looking at like the people that Lawton considered before Robert Mitchum. One of one of which was the good man Gary Cooper, who didn't want, who did not accept the role because he thought it would, you know, ruin his image on the screen as the good guy. Yeah, I mean, it's um, it's it's the. The part can really only be played by Robert Mitchum. Yeah, and I can't, I, I can't, that... I can't see anyone else playing him and stuff. I mean, they also had Laurence Olivier and John Carradine. They both expressed interest in the role, but I think Robert Mitchum just—I mean, he just—he just attacks that role, and he is just so yeah. good. And I don't—I think that 
I think this, I mean, I've seen a lot of films with him and I think this is my number one favorite Robert Mitchum performance. And it's, it's up there with his performance. Has to be. It's, it's up there with um, him and Max Cady from Cape Fear, which is also, he plays a almost slightly similar character, although a little bit more Southern. Well, also a little bit more kind of cartoonish. Well, mm. if it's possible to be more cartoonish than Harry Potter. But this is, this is interesting because, <clears> you know, Mitchum at this point is just, he's fresh from his famous marijuana bust. He spent a little bit of time in prison. Uh, he's got his bad boy image. And I think both him and Lawton are kind of non-mainstream. I think Lawton sort of saw them as kindred spirits. And yeah. what I think is great is that you can totally believe Mitchum as a killer, but you can also believe him as a seducer. And, you know, he's, he's both handsome and terrifying in this movie in ways that I think it would have been, you know, if you'd cast John Carradine, he would have been, yeah, fine. He was, would have been creepy, but could he been, a, could he have been as like, he's got to have that sugary charm that Mitchum also has, you know, the way he yeah. kind of comes into the community and has everyone wrapped, except of course, the kids, uh, young John wrapped around, <clears throat> wrapped around his little finger. So, um, I just wanted to like talk about the kids a little bit because I feel I love how the film because I think when you do films like this you got to choose which perspective you have to shoot it from and I think it's great that Lawton shoots from the perspective of the children so we see the film through the chil the children's eye apart from a few other yeah. scenes in the film and I love like it is it is a dark mother goose tale because you know these kids they immediately well John he immediately sees who harry powell is and everyone else just sees him as like a you know a you know singing you know lovely preacher when you know he knows that he is a a, a bad guy and is trying to tell you know the innocent pearl that you know we got to get away from him yeah i mean the kids are the um it's it's really important as you say uh that decision um uh interestingly lawton didn't really like working with them and I think uh, he likes he likes billy chapin he didn't really like the girl that much because she wouldn't i think they they used a lot of outtakes with her because they a lot of the time i think robert mitchum ended up directing a lot of those scenes yeah that's what i read sally jane bruce is her name um and uh billy chapin was a child actor he um he's in another great movie called violent saturday with where he plays victor mature's son um i've not seen that and um but uh yeah he he died not long ago, actually. He died in 2016, that terrible year for people. Uh, I don't know if we covered it on that. You know, yeah, we did. I think, I think Bowie and all those people. Yeah, we did. We did talk about that. Yeah. Um, but um, but he's very good and he's very very good. He really carries you know that because you need you need someone with a who, who's capable of delivering a performance and he's very sort of mature and yeah. um, incredibly sweet too i think the, the scenes with him and lillian gish are so moving at the end of the film yeah where like they've lost everything and she gives them a, a you know a new life in the family basically um the children so, will uh, endure yeah <laughs> she's so good uh i was speaking of the cast i really want to talk about evelyn varden who plays the ice cream parlor proprietress Icy oh Spoon. yeah she's great first our power <laughs> <laughs> she's like awful busybody, isn't she? Yeah, like, yeah I, I just that it, character is, and her like henpecked husband, uh, who's played by Don Beto, uh, like <laughs> such good characters. But also uh, James Gleason, who plays Uncle Birdie, who is practically the only friend that John Harper has, and he does say to him, you know, if you ever, if you're in any, if you are in any trouble, you can always come to me for help, and then what happens he gets drunk and then the kids have to fend for themselves yeah, it's no fucking help at all and um and the um and that's the and that's the thing you know this film for john is a succession of adults letting him down his mother even lets him down by marrying this man and yeah. and dies you know and, and and the only adult in the film who is any kind of friend to them is is, is miss cooper um that scene that that wonderful moment where we first meet Uncle Birdie, it's like straight out of Mark Twain. Talk about fairy yeah. tale, you know, when the um, when the steamboat's coming down the river and they're waving at it and the music's really going and it's like, wow, we're in the <laughs> we're really in the pastoral kind of Americana here. <laughs> yeah, we um, are. But of course, then I think it's Birdie, his link to the river and his um, his life down there in the shack that really provides us with the one of the great kind of enduring images of the film, which is the, the, um, 
the bod the body of Willa Harper sitting in the car underwater with the with the weeds kind of um yeah that's a very around the sea we did the the, the river bed the you know whatever it is the vegetation such the a nightmarish scene it's so creepy as well just with the water and the weeds all floating around and stuff and the car's just there and her body and you can see that she's had her neck slid open a little bit and stuff i just i was watch, just watching it again i just realized that that's such a like unnerving scene and it plays off really well and i feel like that scene inspired uh, one scene in uh, The Man Who Wasn't There, the Coen Brothers film. Yeah. Where yeah. they find uh, John Polito's character in the bottom of, uh, towards the end of the film. Absolutely. I think that, that, that I would not be surprised if that was a direct reference. I mean, but that, and that obviously makes Uncle Birdie get drunk this bit, but that, just having, having that visual, that shot is just, is so amazing. But there, what are, some of the other ones I want to talk about, um, uh, the first one of, of when we first see the preacher standing outside the house under the under the lamp. Yeah, I think that's that's great. And just that where you just look out and it's like this perfect expressionist film set with the you know cardboard cutout practically you know backdrop with the harsh lighting you know practically shadows mm. practically painted on you know. Yeah. And then um, the other scene that I loved for partly for its artificiality is when the children are fleeing the preacher in the boat and they land at that strange house which is this sort of you know this kind of minimalist yeah sort of monolith with this one window in it it's like a, it's like a stage set you know it's straight out of caligari and mm. you have the canary and then you hear that voice singing and you're like oh, is this going to be their salvation obviously yeah. they, they don't go to the house they go to the barn but i just love that shot of the house and barn with the singing with the, the silhouette of the the bird cage it's a really it's moving original scene. image it's such yeah. a wonderful kind of I, that i can picture it perfectly in my mind but the, the other great shot in following on from that scene was when they're sleeping in the barn and most and in the foreground there's a hill and then you you start hearing robert mitchum singing leaning on the everlasting arms as he's riding the horse and Which the Coen, speaking of Coen brothers references of course they use that hymn in their remake of true grit yeah and um that is just a very creepy scene you just hear him singing and he just he's like the epitome of death he's just riding a pale horse basically and uh and just yes. singing a, a a nice christian tune <laughs> And I, I, I like I, I, I read on IMDb. Apparently, it was just a midget on a pony, but they just made it seem like they shot it from a different perspective to make it seem, you know, like it was Robert Mitchum, which I thought was quite Robert, interesting. Robert, Robert Midget. Yeah. <laughs> Robert, uh, Robert, Robert Mini Me. <laughs> I think is it is it Little Person? I think Little Person. Yeah. Yeah. Apologies. Um, mm. So, uh... but um. <clears throat> but no that's a great that's a great moment and also i just it, it also just the lack of music in that scene it just feels really tense just seeing him react to the horse riding on the hill and seeing him just slowly close by like the big bad wolf from the three little pigs and um i just i just really like it yeah it's such a really nice shot i just and also the bit before he well he kills willa off screen but like the lead, lead up to it there's that great shot with oh, where she's yeah. in the bed and she's lying like some you know like she's about to be put off to her funeral very much well, and like, like the sort of like just the light that comes crashing in and it's very very reminiscent of of german expressionism cinema but also the way that that film that scene is acted it's so like it's sort of slow and his performance is quite mannered in that moment like that mm. bit where he sort of mitchum like lifts his hand up to the sky and sort of looks at it in the light and then he when he comes to kill her he sort of does it in almost in slow motion and then obviously the the cuts to the next scene yeah um also that scene in the basement when he's going up the stairs and he's got his hands out like he's frankenstein or something like that he's just monstrous in that moment when he's just yeah going after the children. there's that scene in the basement and there's a scene there's a couple of scenes with him where I mean, it's interesting. This is one of the areas I think that divides opinion on the film and certainly divided critical opinion at the time is where there's like a sort of sense that it's almost a little bit farcical that they play some of the scary stuff for laughs, um, which I enjoy. Yeah. Partly because Mitch and pulls it off with such panache. Yeah. But what I don't know. What do you think about that? 
I think it plays off very well. I don't think it's humorous in any kind of way. I think it. I think it's well. It is. I mean, I think there are bits though. Yeah, like, I mean, it's it's not like, but it's it's, it's humorous, but not like it's not. I think the tone is set pretty well, so it's not supposed to be comedic at all. It might be seen as a bit ridiculous and everything, but I feel like if you showed this to a twenty first century audience member who was really big on Marvel movies, they would probably laugh at that. <laughs> and, what they would they would probably <laughs> laugh at that scene and be like, "This is scary. Why?" <laughs> yeah, but kind of we've thing. already talked about those people are idiots. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Um, the um, but I know I mean I think that there is it that it's funny because I think people at the time <clears throat> you know the film didn't do well it was it had a decidedly mixed critical response um, yeah. probably quite a negative one and a lot of people just wrote like it's not funny enough to be a comedy it's not scary enough to be a horror film what is what is this movie yeah and um, and that you know that broke Charles Lawton heart and uh, he never made another one but no, he went back to theatre before we talk about before we talk about that, um, I also wanted to I wanted to speak about the music by Walter Schubert, which is mm. really good. The music's um, really nice. the The Pretty Fly song when they're sitting when they're in the boats, where Pretty Fly for a Jedi. <laughs> where uh, uh, there once was a pretty fly. Uh, yeah, where Pearl is singing, but she's dubbed by an actress that is tremendously older than her betty benson i i love that scene i thought yeah, that was really nice a really kind of the, the little the little kids that sounds like fucking nico like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. one star was a fly <laughs> no but i i just i, I love that scene because it always felt like a real palate cleanser from all the horror you saw before and robert mitchum going into the water and then screaming like a like a child who didn't get his like a banshee yeah like a like a child who didn't get his present at christmas or something i feel like it's more like a primal scream than that it's like a sort of animal kind animalistic of howl, more yeah. like you know <laughs> yeah um it really really is it's true I, first time i watched that i was genuinely quite uh yeah terrified but just the way um, he says children just that <laughs> is terrifying enough <laughs> It's straight, it's straight, uh, the chibi bang bang, the child catcher, you know. Yeah, come here, that. children, come and get your lollipop. Yeah. <laughs> so good. Uh, the um, uh, the music is, is just tremendous throughout the way he weaves in folk and uh, folk songs and hymns, you know. Um, but uh, I wanted to mention my friend, uh, well, our friend, Ed Randall, yes. did um, a great arrangement of um, the Dream Little One Dream and once there was flies that have been the same he did this he has this jazz quartet yeah the swingle sisters or whatever they're called. no not the swingle not the swingle singers he has a jazz thing that he did um oh, okay he does as well um well he has done he, he has performed with it with a, his own um quartet and they did an arrangement of the music with these two songs sort of mixed together in one song which was really good and so oh, um, you want to listen to that i don't know he's got he's got an ep coming out actually but i, I don't know that if this would be on it but um i thought it was just such a great um it is such a, it, it is such a captivating uh uh score and i'm not i'm not i'm not surprised that uh ed as a musician kind of picked it up but um the the the, the the music sort of has you know it's it's not exactly subtle in certain parts you know when the when the the train carrying power is crossing the landscape it's literally dum 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 <laughs> yeah it's like everything it's like everything's joyful like and then every time Robert Mitchum's on the screen it's like boom boom yeah, like exactly. he's riding the horse or like driving the car and like with the scene when you first see Harry Harry Powell when he's driving the car he's driving it in a really weird way like he's like he just he's he's holding like the inside of it when he's not like on the outside of the wheel. I always find that really weird the way he drives the car. He's his his comp his that first scene with him is is a, is a, is quite something because of the the way he's talking to God in this you know, and you are you're aware of the fact that Mitchum's really leaning into this role and really yeah he's really acting but he's also being Robert Mitchum and. Um, which is, you know, if there is a Mitchum style of acting, it is just be Mitchum. Um, and his, his, um, the conversation with, with, with God is very, it, it's, it's like, yes, if Robert Mitchum was talking to God, this is probably how he'd do it. But he just adds this little twist of madness so well to the character. Um, that sort of curled lip and the sort of, 
that meanness that he was capable of in his performances is just so apparent. Mm. And I love the bit when it cuts to him at the strip show or the burlesque show. Yeah. And then you see this very phallic, like the knife the coming through knife the trousers, coming like he's got a boner or something. You know, it's like, it's very, um, it's, it's so, and his, his, his face in that scene is just such a picture of like lunacy. Um, like hatred. I was thinking, I was thinking a little bit of like Telly Savalas's character from the dirty dozen a little bit. Cause he was also yeah, a woman hating, mur- you know, like misogynist murderer. Like it yeah. is a, yeah, there's something, and there's something just awful about it. You know, you really learn to despise this character because of the way that he treats women. I think that the a modern film, I dread to think of anyone ever remaking this, but a modern film would perhaps emphasize that a bit more. But the um, yeah, I think the they scene, keep it quite. The scene on their wedding night, for example, when he finally marries Willa, and then she's thinking, right, we're going to have some, we're going to get down to it because he has been seducing her in a pretty yeah. overt way. And then he's like, "Look at yourself. You're disgusting. Like, da 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 da. We're not gonna. We're never gonna have sex, basically." And it just like destroys her. It's actually devastating. And such a, like, her. such a horrible, nasty trick to play on someone. That, yeah. And then, of course, he murders her. So it's just like, yeah, right, he makes okay. her like he makes her go to some Bible like oh, yeah, the, venue the meeting. That's so cool. That bit. Yeah. <laughs> I think like I think there's certain things that work very well in horror, and I think that's using religion in some sort of way that makes it kind of creepy. I don't know why like certain films that like, do it very well. I think well, this film reminds me a little bit of the first series of True Detective as well. Yeah, that, sort of, that, that milieu is, is very um, apparent. Um, and um, but but what? So I mean, if it, it's a film in three acts in some ways, you know, you've got the first bit with the you know the 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 father going away yeah. and getting hung and then the the establishment of the harry powell in the community then the, and then there's the murder and the chase that's the second act and the third act is interesting because the third act tonally is so different because you get there with rescue by miss cooper mm. and they live near this town and she has all these other kids in her care including ruby who obviously you know she's tempted by boys and she gets into bad situations and is, uh, also falls under harry powell's spell at one point yeah um but what's really interesting is at the end of the film when he's apprehended uh a couple of things happen like he he's he's been like he's been terrorizing them and he's you know been threatening to kill them all and it's like you know it's pretty um, it's pretty vile, but it, in the moment that he's captured, John can't bear it and like gives him the money, you know, just says, you know, take it, like it's not worth it. Like if you really want all this money, like for God's sake, here it is. Yeah. And and then in the and then in the trial, you know, the, there's the lynch mob essentially. And obviously, I don't want to. I want to use that word very carefully because yeah. uh, we're we're talking uh, uh, in the day after lightly. the president of the United States just referred to himself as getting lynched. Which you know, let's be clear about this. This is not. But this is a you know, there's a mob coming yeah. for this guy, and then the hangman who at the beginning of the film was like, Ugh, I didn't like pulling the you know the lever on on, on that guy. Um, on that guy is now like, I can't wait to hang this motherfucker, and it, I'll be all first sudden, in line. Yeah, exactly. He's like, and it sort of paints this horrible, like, there's just this little sort of bitter end note here where it's not about, it's like there's a tragedy and there's a, you know, it's like there's just a little kind of lesson, if you want to learn it, in there about how and why Harry Powell and people like him happen. It's because society is violent, society is, is cruel, and society is the mob. And which is also a Hitchcockian idea. And then we go back away from that. And there's that scene where Miss Cooper kind of leads the children like a little row of ducks. Yeah, it's like she's, the, she's trying town. to retain their innocence. She doesn't want them to see. Yeah. And she takes them away from all of that into yeah. this kind of fairy tale. You know, she lives in a, in a candy house, you know, a, yeah. a gingerbread house, essentially. And then they have Christmas together. And it's just the most sweet, scene and then she has that monologue at the end about the children enduring and it's just, it's delightful and, I'm, and, and, and it, yes that gets a little it gets a little bit Frank Capra there but hey <laughs> like you know it's like what a wonderful moral yeah what a wonderful little and and I think this I think that the 
I think the Night of the Hunter, it's like, if you go into it wearing any kind of irony around you as any kind of protective armor, you're not going to enjoy it as much as if you just go in kind of wide-eyed and, and, and ready to be surprised and yeah. with a certain amount of curiosity. I think, I think that I completely agree with that. I also wanted to bring up this quote that uh, Charles Lawton said when uh, Lillian Gish asked him why you wanted me to be in this film. And he said, When I first went to the movies, they sat in their seats straight and leaned forward. Now they slump down with their heads back and eat candy and popcorn. I want them to sit up straight again. Oh, it's brilliant, isn't it? It's such, think... a, perfect, such a perfect motive for making a film. Yeah. Um, can I read you a quote that I found, actually, now yeah. that we're banding about quotes, from um, from David Thompson, who's, who's one of the great, you know, uh, film writers of our time. He says, um, above, of Night of the Hunter, he says, no, of course it doesn't look or feel like an American film of 1955, but at that moment, it was essential that some movies begin to do things differently. The Night of the Hunter is not just a great film. It is among the great expressions of America's sense of childhood giving way to warped adulthood. Everything that was quote-unquote wrong about it was right because an artist had perceived the work as a whole and brought it home. It was the public that was wrong and no condition is more alarming. Speaking of what we were talking about before. Yeah, no, I think both those quotes speak I mean, for that period as well, but also... I think it's a good, I think we, we chose the right episode to have the discussion. <laughs> <laughs> I think so, too. Um, I think I think we did very well. Uh, it's... Um, it, go, 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 go see this film, please. It's on Blu-ray. You can get it. If you have iTunes, you can just rent it on there. It's fine. You can just watch it there. It's, it's just... It's incredible. It's a monument to um, a certain kind of filmmaking. It's a great piece of Charles Lawton's legacy. Uh, Charles Lawton, who, you know, of course is rightly remembered as one of the great character actors of his time. Yeah. Um, Have you it, forgotten you know, about was, the House made... of Pain? <laughs> yes, of course. The Island of Lost Souls. Uh, um, he died seven years later, and he um, he didn't direct another film. No, and it's he a shame went... because he... perhaps he could have managed to squeeze in a couple more in the time that was left to him. Um and uh, but I think one of our last views of him is in Spartacus, where he plays one of those old senators, yeah. and he's just incredible in it. Um, and um, the that you know, it's it's a shame that we never we never got to see the follow up. Um, but it, there's something there's something kind of you know when you take a step back from that sadness, there is also something wonderful about the fact that Night of the Hunter is just a one shot deal. Like there's yeah. no it's it, that was it doesn't nothing comes before nothing comes after. It's just the movie. And mm. um, and that I, I feel like that has a certain romance to it. Yeah. So yeah. if you like, if you like, your, if you want to add a little bit of different of a flavor into your scary movie month, go see it, uh, yeah. watch it, rent it, uh, stream it, um, buy it, preferably, and yeah. own it, and um, and and read about it and enjoy it. There's a great the BFI uh, series on you know those little monographs about films that the BFI released. There's a really wonderful one about the Night of the Hunter. Didn't uh, that Simon that, Callow that really, write it? Or, he may have done. Yeah. He may have done. I have a copy and I lost it. Did you? Do you have it? I don't know. I don't. I, I might do here. <laughs> anyway, I do um, not know. But uh, <laughs> I, I have another quote um, that uh, Daniel Day Lewis uh, cited Lawton as one of his inspirations, and he said he was probably the greatest film actor who came from that period of time. He had something quite remarkable. His generosity as an actor. He fed himself into that work. As an actor, you cannot take your eyes off of him. That's true. That's true. Anyone, uh, anyone who's interested in, in watching Charles Lawton strut his stuff should watch Witness for the Prosecution, which also features Elsa Manchester, um, mm. and um, is a really fun, really fun film. Yeah, and he was the woman that he married from 1929 and up until his death in 1962. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, um, so Night Hunter. It's in my. It's my favorite film. One of my favorite films. It's yeah. five stars. Everything else. Throw all the you know yeah uh, call me old-fashioned call me whatever you want but um it will clean the floor with anything marbles and any overproduced and uh, <laughs> and actually it's kind of an insult to even mention those two things in the same sentence but um before i get in trouble should we uh, talk about birthdays 
Birthdays, yeah, yeah, yeah. Let's talk about birthdays. Uh, happy birthday, top of the list. Uh, Daenerys uh, Targaryen, Amelia Clark, who oh, is <laughs> Game of Thrones, go away, Game of Thrones. Yeah, she's got a new film coming out last Christmas, uh, directed by Paul Feig and uh, written by a uh, co-written by Emma Thompson, who also stars in the film. Last Christmas, I gave you my heart. This yeah, Christmas, well, it's based. It's based on King's Landing. It's based around the the george michael christmas song well i i'm obvious i obviously can't wait to watch this movie uh happy I'm... happy happy, <laughs> birth, happy birthday to uh deadpool himself ryan reynolds oh he's awful you don't like he's him? genuinely one of my least favorite actors he's so boring <laughs> what was that awful film about the the klimt painting with helen mirren was playing that austrian woman Oh um, yeah, the fifth. Oh, woman in gold. He, he's so bland. He's like he's like a, a, a he's he's like Jim Gavin or something. what? Is it? No, no, James Gavin. You know the the John Gavin, the guy John. from Psycho. Yeah, James Gavin is general of paratroopers in the Second World War. Anyway, um, yeah, yeah, he's rubbish, rubbish actor. Uh, he 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 he's in a new film coming out in December, which is going to be shown on Netflix, and it's called Six Underground, and it's written by the writers from Deadpool and Zombieland, Rhett Reese and Paul Vernick, and it's directed mm. by uh, action filmmaker Michael Bay. Oh my god! <laughs> uh, happy birthday to Andy McDowell's daughter, Margaret Margaret Qualley, who uh, recently was in Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, and she played one of the Manson girls. Right, she's good in the film. Okay, is anyone I... actually decent okay. born today? Uh, happy Happy birthday to uh, director Ang Lee. Oh, he's quite good. Yeah, he's very was good. It sense... He did Sense and Sensibility, didn't he? Yes, he did, and he also did Brokeback Mountain, which is a really uh... which you know I still haven't seen. It's a very good film. It's very just. It's a great film. Heath Ledger is just amazing in that film. He should have got the Oscar, but I mean, maybe he could have divided it with uh philip seymour hoffman for capote but yeah i don't know no he said it was an amazing actor sam raimi he's i've just brought up the birthday here as well he's a you you must enjoy him oh yes i do and he's about to make a new horror film at some point which i'm really excited about he hasn't he hasn't directed a movie since 2009 which was the very oh no he hasn't made he hasn't made a horror film since 2009 which was the film drag me to hell which is just just great and uh yeah I, I, he's been producing a lot of films he did produ he did produce one film that i watched recently called uh don't breathe which is about three uh uh burglars who go into a blind man's house to steal his money and then they realize that we just broke into the wrong house and uh, getting in is easy but getting out is hard <laughs> happy birthday to country western star dwight yoakam who also is an actor and has played in many films and he is fantastic in billy bob thornton's film uh, sling blade which he also stars in as well and and uh won an oscar for best adapted screenplay he's yeah he's great i love his music too yeah i can't um, guitars and cadillacs i can't help listening to that song and not going i need your clothes your boots and your motorcycle jesus um i know uh, diana doors um the um sort of one of the the british sort of screen sirens uh was born on this day but i just wanted to i, I was just looking her up here because um her she wasn't born diana doors she was actually born diana may fluck <laughs> and i, I see why see why maybe they uh, changed her name there yeah um, yeah i can understand that yeah Happy birthday to Johnny Carson, the legendary king of late night TV. Oh yeah, of course. Uh, happy birthday to Weird Al Yankovic, who is you know a funny man. Uh, happy birthday, oh, Michael Crichton. Michael Crichton's birthday. Wrote... And look, um, Hugh Fraser, who does, uh, who's famous for um, playing in Poirot, but he also he's in a bunch of those um, sharp. Uh, he plays Wellington in, in a bunch of the Sharp films. Which oh, he's be... also the traitor in uh, Patriot Games. Yes, of course, of course, of course. 
Uh, happy birthday to Philip Kauf, uh, Kaufman or Kaufman, who uh, wrote the screenplay for the right, uh, the right oh, stuff. Oh yes, of course. And uh, directed Invasion of the Body Snatchers with uh, Donald Sutherland, and also I think is credited as a, a story. He wrote the story of Raiders of the Lost Ark with um, with George Lucas, and he wrote the screenplay for the outlaw Josie Wales. Whoa. Okay. So you know he's he's he's, he's done some stuff. Oh my god, Anders, it's Una O'Connor's birthday today, the character from the one who plays the, the, the comic relief character in Bride of Frankenstein. Is that her birthday today as well? Oh, happy birthday yeah. to her. Oh, she's great. She's so good in that. <laughs> I'm on step! <laughs> Whatever it is she says. <laughs> uh, but uh, also, happy birthday to documentary filmmaker Alex Gibney, who uh, has won an who won an Oscar for Taxi to the Dark Side and directed Enron, the smartest guys in the room, and also the Scientology uh, sorry the Scientology uh, documentary Going Clear, which is uh, really good actually, worth checking out. Oh, Sarah Bernhardt's birthday today. Sarah who? Sarah Bernhardt was this famous um, uh, singer and stage actress from the um uh from the turn of the 20th century i don't think she was ever in any films though oh it's megan mccain's birthday as well okay let's move on (laughs) (laughs) okay um do you want to recommend me something first well yeah seeing as i was talking about it earlier i'll recommend the film violent saturday have you seen it i've not seen it no but i will check it out it's really good it's a it's a it's a kind of a technicolor Oh, thriller. It's set in the small town in Nevada, California. I don't know, but it's somewhere out west, maybe Arizona. And it is um, it's about a bank robbery, but it's also about the community into which the bank robbery happens. And um, it's very good. Lee Marvin is in it. Ernest Borgnine is in it. Victor Mature, Billy Chapin. And um, it is a Brad Dexter. It's full of, um, of great performances. And it is a taut, like, it's a really solid um i wouldn't call it go as far as to call it a b movie but it has that slight it's like it's really it's a a, a film noir with, with drenched in color it's a wonderful film and, mm. and, and overlooked it's a really really worth watching yeah i'm just looking at richard fleischer's uh filmography he did he did he's done a quite a variety of movies he did the vikings with uh kirk douglas and tony curtis he also did Twenty Thousand leagues under the sea which also has kirk douglas in it uh, Fantastic mm-hmm. Voyage, Doctor Doolittle is that the one with uh, Rex Harrison? Was well, probably not the Eddie Murphy one. No, 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 or the Robert Downey Jr. one, which is coming out soon. No, oh, Jesus. Uh, and he also did the Boston Strangler and Tora Tora Tora, the Pearl Harbor film. Boston Strangler is an interesting movie. Yeah, I haven't seen that yet. That's that's also on my list. And he also did uh, Soylent Green with uh, Charlton Heston. The film to which everyone knows the spoiler. Yeah, because um, because. Yeah, The Simpsons yep. made fun anyway, of Anyway, what are you recommending? Uh, I'm going to recommend to you a horror movie, which um, I just saw uh, recently, which is, um, I think a lot of people, when they say like, oh, there were no good horror films in the 90s before Scream came out. There were. There, were some, there was a few good ones. Uh, and that is the Bernard Rose film Candyman, which is based off the short story written by Clive Barker, who uh, wrote and directed Hellraiser. Uh, it's a really, really good film. Uh, I think it has a lot to say. Uh, Tony Todd's uh, performance as Candyman is amazing, and he's so uh, creepy and just so good. He's like, he just has that same quality that Robert Mitchum had in The, the Night of the Hunter. And uh, Virginia Madsen, who is uh, one of her early uh, roles, which w- she's fantastic in it as well. Uh, Academy Award uh, nominated for Sideways. And um, yeah. I'm very much looking forward to seeing uh, the. Uh, the the new one, which is I, I think like a spiritual sequel to Candyman, so it's not like a remake; it's a spiritual sequel, and I'm looking forward to it because Jordan what does Peele. That spiritual sequel mean? I have no idea, but it's produced by Jordan. <laughs> <laughs> it's produced. It's produced by Jordan Peele, and uh, I think that 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 type of film with him attached to it, I think could could be something quite interesting given oh, I it's still haven't seen I still haven't seen us. I really want to see that. Ah, it's good. It's really good. Well, I've got to go to work. The sun's come up and that means the day is upon me. Yes. Um so uh 
I'll let you go. But that was really fun. Yeah, it was good fun. And uh, like we said before, do check out The Night of the Hunter. It is very much worth your time. Yes. I mean, watch it again and again and again. Read about it. Enjoy it. Bathe in it. It's a great piece of cinema. Keep this movie alive. Keep cinema alive. Yeah. And and also... uh, Keep to the roads, stay off the moors, and uh, beware the moon. Right. Yeah. Truth. Sorry. Anyway. Yes. Uh, yeah. Bef- you can uh, follow us on Twitter uh, at Holmes Movies Pod. You can follow me on Twitter at Fabricius91. Uh, you can follow Adam. He's the Northampton Dane. And you're also on Instagram as well. Yep. Adam.h.f.holmes on Instagram. Yes, you can follow our blog, which we'll be linking to in the podcast info, and you can also follow us on Spotify, SoundCloud, Podomatic, TuneIn, and Stitcher. And you can... uh, Did I mention the blog? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you can check out the blog as well, and you can also send us an email, if you wish, to homesmoviespodcast at gmail.com. Thank you very much uh, to... ah, Thank you very much for uh, listening to us uh, talk about uh, Night of the Hunter. Uh, I've been Anders Holmes. And I've been uh, Adam and enjoyed myself immensely. See you soon, everyone. Bye.